Good morning. Great morning. And an opportunity now to focus our attention upon God through his word. We've started a little mini-series leading ourselves into the summer days, haven't we? The series we're calling the Christ Series. And what we're doing is we're exploring all those words that are attached to the title Christ. Last week, as we kicked off this little series, we explored what does it mean to be in Christ, our Lord. Now, we're going to continue to develop our thinking because today what we want to do is to think through what does it mean to go through Christ, our Lord. With that in mind, I'd love for you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And in verses 1 through 5, what we're going to do is to explore this subject. And as we explore it, I want you to mark, note, do whatever it's necessary the various places where the word through appears in relationship to Jesus Christ. And then ask yourself, and where do I fit in to this throughness? So we're picking up in Romans chapter 5, and verse 1 down through verse 5, we find these words, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. A character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Rich verses. Let's understand them together as we look to our Lord in prayer. Now, our fathers, we're coming into your presence. We're doing so knowing that you are the sovereign, holy, righteous God. That the world was impacted by the fall of the original parents, Sodom and Eve. And that generation by generation, all give example and evidence of the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've taught us that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. We've been reflecting over these days of what it means to be in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But now, Father, we want to continue and develop our thinking. Not only to determine what it means to be in Christ our Lord. But furthermore, what does it entail to go through Christ our Lord? And we need your guidance to understand your word. So these minutes before us, we pray, we manage in a way that honor you. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. 
to shape these wheels. We've come here to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the tension between to and through. I jotted down some thoughts several years back when Pam and I were seeing our second one off to college, it was freshman year. I noticed that there was a conversation that was taking place between a father and his daughter, and she had a basic question and a fear that was wrapped in that question. Dad, I want to go back soon, but I don't want to go through the city. Quickly, her father jumped on that one and said, Honey, take the bypass. Now, it seems like an ordinary dialogue, doesn't it? But I always kind of keep paper and pencil in hand. I wrote down two through bypass and thought about this world. Because the false religions of this world would want you to go to God, but not through Christ, but rather to bypass him based upon your works or your efforts. Now, as you're raising children, parents, if you're a student in school, If you're single and you're hanging with people Friday night, what I want you to do is to look at all the various bypasses people are utilizing. Because what's at hand here is the tremendous tension of the to and through. There is within our hearts a longing to get too good while at the same time there is a pushback when it comes to going through Christ. And you see it on a daily basis. And that's why people continue to come up with bypasses to deal with God on their terms rather than God's. Now here's what we want to do. We want to explore this issue of the tension of the to and through to be able to detect the bypasses of this world Staying focused upon what God has said through his word. So what we're going to do now is to dig deeply into these simply five verses and to draw out for ourselves this morning two certainties pertaining to our relationship to God. And the first flows out of verses 1 and 2. And we're going to put it like this. That number one, those justified by faith know that our standing is secure By God's grace, not by our efforts, by God's grace. But we've got to substantiate what we just said by the verses 1 and 2 that appear on the screen. Let's develop them. Notice how this begins. Therefore. Now, you're a student of God's word, and so you naturally ask what's therefore, therefore, right? You immediately find your mindset going back one verse, and there your answer is pertaining to Jesus who was delivered up for our 
trespasses. That's substitution. And raised for our justification. That's substitution. The word justification means simply you have been declared righteous. You were not born righteous. I was not born righteous. Furthermore, it does not mean that we were made righteous when we were declared righteous. We still sin. What we find here, though, is that God is saying we put our faith and trust in Christ's work to be declared righteous. Not in our works, which are bypasses, where we look for alternatives to get to God without going through Christ. At the very essence of all this, then, he puts Jesus Christ at the forefront of your thoughts. You've thought through what does it mean to be in Christ. Now we grapple with what does it mean to go through Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith in Christ, not in our works, What I want you to see now are three, whether you want to use the word blessings or the word benefits, three that come your way as a result of this matter having been justified by faith. Now the first is found there in what's before you. The first is that we have peace with God. It does not say we have peace, period. It says we have peace with God. Now remember, when Adam and Eve fell, there was a brokenness that came into this world, a broken relationship between God and humanity, a broken relationship between humanity, a man and a woman. Thirdly, a broken relationship between an individual and self. And fourthly, a broken relationship between humanity and the environment, right? When you and I get off a plane in Tel Aviv, Israel, you will be greeted by the words shalom. And what the word shalom means in the Hebrew is peace. But it comes from the idea of wholeness. And now you and I find that people are wrestling with, how do I experience wholeness in a world of brokenness? And how can I experience peace in my life when I'm at war with my soul? These are great questions. If there's a continual, steady unrest, a continual, steady conflictedness from within, and we are lacking that peace that comes from God, it could very well be because we are not at peace with God. And we are embracing brokenness instead of wholeness. And the danger is we've settled for bypasses rather than fully understand the two-through phenomena that the Bible has drawn out for us. Now notice this word peace here pertains to what was secured at the cross of Jesus Christ where war was declared on sin and three days later Jesus Christ raised from the dead victorious. Peace was formally established. Now you might say but experientially it's still not being part and parcel of each and every moment of my life. That's because we still live in a fallen world. But what fascinates us at this point is that there is a peace with God when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So this idea of peace 
This peace with God is addressed through the cross of Jesus. Robert Moffat understood that. One of the great pioneer missionaries in South Africa, not the first to go into that land, but had a powerful impact nonetheless. Born in Scotland, 1795, began to learn a trade, but then somewhere around the age of 18, felt God moving in his heart. One day while studying the Bible, he found his way to Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, and said, I felt that being justified by faith, I had peace with God through Jesus Christ, he would later testify. Now the rest of the story. Now secure in that knowledge of his salvation, Moffat sought out ways to be able to share Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 with all he came in contact with. He headed off to Africa. But he was not given opportunity to pass through certain roads within that region. Until finally, after a lot of negotiation, governmental approval was granted, he and two other missionaries headed into the vast territory, reading now from the biography that fearsome African chief Africana ruled. He had terrorized the Dutch settlers on that land. Before Moffat began the journey, stories began to circulate that Africana had come to saving faith in Christ. None of the Dutch settlers believed it. They were certain that Moffat would be killed by the chief. Quote, he'll make a drinking cup out of your skull, they warned him, unquote. But then Moffat met Afrikaner face to face. And he knew immediately that Afrikaner had truly come to saving faith in Christ, justified by faith. The peace of Christ was evident, Moffat said, in Afrikaner's life. And so, you know what he did? He invited the chief to return to Cape Town with him to demonstrate the power of the gospel. But now Afrikaner trembled at the thought, thinking that he had been an easy target for the Dutch settlers seeking revenge. But finally, as Moffat shared with him what a tremendous opportunity to speak of God's grace Afrikaner went with Moffat, disguised as Moffat's servant. And as they made their way through villages, settlers were shocked to see Moffat. They had heard that he had been killed by Afrikaner. Little did they know that the chief was standing in their presence. And then, standing with Moffat, Afrikaner rose and spoke of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and how it had ministered to his heart, and he had come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, and found peace with God. Question. Have you found peace with God? Peace with God finds its source in the peace of God. In order to experience peace from God, there must first be peace with God. And if your soul is in turmoil, you need to go back to first things, back to the source. 
Look very carefully at your relationship to God via the cross. Are there any bypasses I've opted for rather than going to God through Christ? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, notice it doesn't say we might have. We're talking certainties here. We have peace with God. That alone is a dramatic, historic, powerful statement in a fallen world. But furthermore, no bypass. You go to the Father through the Son because it reads, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why a Moffat and an Afrikaner can stand shoulder to shoulder and share the good news. Their standing is secure in God's grace. Now, what I want you to notice here is that one of the benefits is peace with God. You look backward to the cross. But a second benefit is not only peace with God, but furthermore, the grace from God. Through him, we also obtained access, in verse 2, by faith, where? Into this grace, expanded, in which we stand. And now what you and I find here is biblical support for our first certainty. Those justified by faith, declared righteous by God based upon Christ's work, not ours, we know this, number one, our standing is secure but it's by God's grace that it is established. Now, you allow for these truths to minister to your heart. You look backward to the cross and you find peace. You look upward into the heavens and you ponder grace, unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. But God provides it. And we take one step back further and we say, now I'm beginning to see the importance of the italicization of the word through in these opening verses. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we Stand. You are positioned in the midst of this very painful world that we find ourselves in. Now you're looking backward. You're looking upward. But there's a third benefit. You're looking forward. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now notice very carefully that word rejoice that is found here. It is a word that carries with the idea to exult. It's going to reappear. So we are rejoicing in what God has done, but we're also rejoicing in what God will do, because when it speaks in hope of the glory of God, we are speaking of the hope of Jesus Christ's return. Not only are people seeking to find wholeness in a world of brokenness, they are also trying to find hopefulness in a world of hopelessness. 
ponder this. 1990s. U.S. stealth fighter pilot shot down over Yugoslavia, says AP Press now. God helped him survive. Pilot wasn't named in a report published by the Air Force. Ejected during a night mission deep in Serbian territory. His Nighthawk had been hit by a Yugoslav surface-to-air missile. The ejection was violent, reading from the AP Press. The pilot said, quote, am I going to know when it's time to get out? Unquote. It's the question on every fighter pilot's mind. The one fragment of this whole event I can't remember is pulling the ejection seat handles. God took my hands and pulled. It just had to be, quote, unquote. He landed in a field, hid in a culvert for six hours until rescue came. While hiding, he saw flashing lights and said a search dog came within 30 yards. For me, he said, as he looked at the American flag that was tightly gripped by his hand. I was thinking back in the U.S. of all the people who were praying for me. End quote. It helped me not to let go of hope. For you see, quote, Hope gave me strength. Hope gave me endurance. Unquote. And I think this pilot must have been reading Romans 5. Now you have just extracted from those first two verses in the tension of the two and through three significant benefits, blessings for believers. Peace. As you look backward to the cross. Grace. As you look upward to the Lord. Glory, as you anticipate, thirdly, Christ's return. But here, now, I'm going to bring another tension into our lives. How am I able, then, to bring this whole idea of my standing in God into the sufferings that I face? If you're facing challenges, difficulties, tensions, conflicts, and you find your heart in a downward spiral. Stay practical here. Because here's your second certainty. The number two, those justified by faith know that our sufferings are purposeful for God's glory. I don't want you to disconnect verses 1 and 2 from verses 3 through 5. On one hand, here's your standing. On the other hand, here's your sufferings. You're saying to myself, okay, verses 1 and 2 inform me, my standing is secure. But Gary, my sufferings are real. How do I connect this? Let's let verses 3 through 5 now unfold in front of our eyes. And once again, three thoughts. I want to draw out for you now three productions 
three productions of what it means to suffer in Christ while at the same time you stand in Christ. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Notice it doesn't say we rejoice because of our sufferings. Paul knows what it means to hurt. So do you. But what we need to understand at this point is that in spite of the hurt, there's the help. When you reject bypasses and you establish in your mindset on a faith-based basis of the evidence of the resurrected Savior Jesus Christ that there is a thoroughfare to God through Christ, we rejoice, he says, in our sufferings. Then he says, knowing. And you're asking yourself now, what is it that I'm supposed to know when I'm hurting? I said, there are three productions. The first is this. Number one, suffering produces endurance. You can't endure without suffering. This is step one in the process, you see, of the way in which God works in us so that God can work through us. And while the rest of the people who don't know Jesus Christ around you in the workplace, who don't know what it means to put faith and trust in Jesus at school, what you've got to do now is to firmly connect verses 1 and 2 with verses 3 through 5. How do I connect this whole matter of standing with that of suffering? I understand, first of all, then, that there's a purpose to this. And we have to understand that when we stand, we stand in grace. We may stand in grace in the midst of suffering, but we've got to embrace the threefold productions. Number one, suffering produces endurance. That you're a marathoner, not a sprinter, in the course of life. And now as God expands your capacity in this broken world with a sense of shalom, wholeness, as you're surrounded by brokenness, you go to the second production. You see it on the screen. Endurance produces character. Character. Now, do you see the word character here? The word character, dokikma, comes from the Greek word that carries with it here the idea of having been tested in battle. And then I got up as I was preparing this and stared out the window because what dawned on me at that point was First Samuel chapter 17 where Saul wants to equip David with Saul's armor. <laughs> Metaphorically. Saul's armor was never meant to fit David. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. Some of us are being tested right now. 
where are you at in the threefold production line? Do you disconnect verses 1 and 2 from 3 through 5? Or have you a very thorough connection between the standing of verses 1 and 2 and the sufferings of verses 3 through 5? Because suffering produces endurance, number one. Endurance produces character. Faith which can't be tested, can't be trusted. And character, number three, produces hope. And now what you do to connect the standing with the suffering, you take that word hope found at the end of verse 4, and what are you going to do? You're going to draw a line back to verse 2 where hope is described, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now your line has connected verses 1 and 2 with 3 through 5. The hope in your standing is tied to the hope in your suffering. You embrace then the threefold aspect here of the purposefulness of all this in the midst of the pain of life. And now you begin to canvas the scriptures. What are the various reasons why people, why believers suffer? And how do I reconcile suffering in the midst of our standing? One example would be the discipline involved in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. God disciplines, you see, his children. There's such a thing as a disciplinary suffering. Not a punishment suffering, but a disciplinary suffering so that we are better affected for the sake of impact. Secondly, there's a substitutionary suffering like in Isaiah 53 where Jesus Christ suffered in our place. Thirdly, there's an epithetic suffering such as in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where you and I go through something so that we have a greater capacity to minister to others who are going through difficult times. Fourthly, there's a glorifying suffering. Like in Genesis chapter 45 and again in 50, where Joseph is able to say to his brothers, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for the good. Maybe right now you're experiencing the hurt or the harm. God wants you to see the glory of the good. And fifthly, there's a testimonial suffering, such as in Job chapter 1 and 2, where there is Job, and he's not been allowed to be privy to this dialogue happening between God and Satan. And Satan is, in essence, saying to God, the reason why Job serves you is because the benefits and the blessings you give Job remove the blessings, and Job will curse you. God then temporarily removes the blessings so that Satan would have a testimony of the fact that Job is relating to God on the basis of the evidential work of Messiah still to come. Messianic promises found throughout the book of Job. Now, I've just given you at least five different reasons why people suffer and why we need to be able to address intelligently the whole issue of purpose in the midst of pain. 
And when we do that, we take a deep breath and we get to verse 5. He's still working with the word hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God's love, underline that phrase, because the natural tendency, particularly for those that bypass, or the natural tendency for those who disconnect, a one and two from a three through five, is to feel as if there's an absence of love here. But Gil Biz, as I mentioned last week, wrote a profound book, offers a series of life changers in his profound book. Another one. Love and suffering are two sides of the same coin. Think the cross of Jesus Christ. You cannot love without getting hurt, and you should not get hurt without discovering new dimensions of love. Another life changer. Majesty and loving suffering are two threads in the same tapestry. Suffering by itself is lonely and bitter, but suffering interwoven with love is a sacrificial gift. A third. Suffering and creation are interwoven. Creation without suffering would be sterile, valueless. Matters of significance are significant because they cost something. And last, love is a sacrifice of suffering. Sacrificial suffering and love are two companions. On your same road. You cannot truly walk with one without walking with the other. You're connecting one and two with three through five. And now you're finding love in moments like these. Chester Zuba understands it. A Michigan man, chance of life, Thanks to a heart transplant, donor, his 22-year-old daughter. Chester Zuba, Michigan, expected full recovery. News that must have made his daughter, now in heaven, happy. Patty died after being injured in a car wreck August 18th while vacationing in Tennessee's Smoky Mountains. Her father had had three open-heart surgeries, had been on Michigan's transplant list for nearly four years. The family knew Patty, who was a nursing student, had signed an organ donor card. And after a long discussion, they decided donating her heart to her father was what Patty would have wanted beyond a shadow of a doubt. And after Patty had been declared brain dead, her heart was stopped, packed in ice, flown to the hospital where her father was in surgery. And then it was restarted in her father's body. Bob Zuba acknowledged there will be some tough times for the family 
But then, add these words. But there is such incredible love in this heart. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Feel the tensions. Making the connections. Noting the productions. All fits together. When we fully understand, we go to God through Christ. No bypass is allowed. Let's stand together. We're exploring you. We are deepening our understanding of you. We're seeking you. We're pondering what does it mean to be in Christ, but furthermore, what does it mean to go through Christ? And it's through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross where Jesus, as our substitute, took our sins upon him and then was credentialed three days later by being raised from the dead. And we find our peace. And we experience your grace. And we anticipate your glory. And we allow all of this to speak to our hearts. And so for the one today who's conflicted, challenged, wrestling with brokenness, longing for wholeness, may they now thoroughly, completely, exclusively seek you, our Father, through Jesus, your Son, in the Holy Spirit, we pray. To you and you alone belong the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.